a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. It's time to get outside. This is KSL Outdoors, brought to you by Bear River Lodge. Two hours of stories and information on hunting, fishing, and high adventure. Our host is Tim Hughes on KSL News Radio. Welcome back, hour number two, and the final one for another week of KSL Outdoors Radio. Pleasure to have you with us here in studio. Tim Hughes, along with Russ Smith from Skycall. I had almost forgotten, and. Uh, when we were having our conversation with Jared Johnson uh, last half hour about the Sportsman's Expo, used to have a booth out there, or did for several years. Well, I have, I've had a booth from time to time. I have found that I know I, I got great products, but I, I don't know. I struggle with that. Didn't translate well to a expo I, I type show. I never sell anything or, out there. Yeah. But it's good to see everybody and make friends and say, hi, we're here, you know, and just remember that we're here. Well, if I remember right, uh, and it's something that I talked with John yeah. Kirk about last week that we didn't get a chance because of time uh, with Jared, they have so many outfitters uh, yeah. that show up there with booths, and, and it's an expanded show, by the yeah. way, from the last time oh. they did it, which was right after the pandemic. And so they're kind of starting over again. But uh, I would think your opportunities would be rubbing shoulders with some of those outfitters and yeah, it'd be good. talking yeah. up the satellite yeah. phones that way. Yeah, we work at that all year round talking to outfitters. We have so many good programs for outfitters. They can save so much more than what they're paying now. But yeah. And we snag quite a few every year, so it's working out well. Yeah. Because we were rushing to get uh, that connection with Navidovskis up in Canada, I neglected to ask you how business is going right now. People got a little bit of cabin fever, I think. It, it's always slow in the winter, but we're doing better than we've ever done this winter. So it's good. It's it's good. But, I mean, are spring and summer bookings starting to come in? Or? You know, it's it's – I have a booking for September oh, for all of all of my uh, uh, Starlink units going to the same race that we did last year in September. He wants to make sure he's booked in and he has them all. Mm. And then we have that product. It's a great product. And, and if you're going to Lake Powell or you're going up to your cabin and you don't have any, if you want fast Wi-Fi, very fast Wi-Fi in a remote area. Starlink is a great way to yeah. go. Now, remind me, is that because it's a fixed satellite? Or? No, no. Actually, he's got so dang many oh. low-Earth orbiting, and they're very low-Earth orbiting. In fact, whenever I tell people, oh, those are the ones we can see at night, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. The others. A lot of them. And that's what makes it a good system. You're, you're now, rarely dropped out. I know there's been a lot of phone calls from people wondering what that big line of lights is uh, in, in the uh, late night hours. And it's oh, it's know. those Starlinks it all lined up and out it's there. It's neat to see them on the map. They, yeah. You can go pull up a screen to see where they're at. And that's all it is, just constantly going across. We're going to talk more fishing here and bring into the conversation Randy Oplinger, the sport fish coordinator for the Division of Wildlife Resources. Randy, good morning. Nice to have you. Yeah, thank you, Tim. Good morning to you as well. 
Uh, you've before we talk uh, talk about you know the topic that was at hand here. You've got to be excited about the water potential here for your rivers, your streams, your lakes, your reservoirs. I mean, it's going to be a good year. Yeah, no, definitely. I think we're definitely excited about the snowpack that we've got. The last couple summers, we've had to change a lot of stocking and uh, shuffle regulations around. We've overall just been concerned about our fish populations. But having a good water year uh, means that probably this year we're going to have to worry a little bit less about that. So. We're definitely excited, but, you know, regardless, long-term, we've been in a kind of drought condition, so I think big picture, the drought still kind of persists. So this year might be an off year. We just need to kind of see where things go long-term. Hopefully we get some more wet winters and reverse that drought trend. Well, and the nice thing is the direction that at least some of these storms have been coming, and they've been blasting the Sierra Mountains. I think they were saying they were expecting another five feet, and Yosemite National Park was closed because they had 15 feet of snow piled up. <laughs> there are videos and pictures of people that are having to snowshoe out with a can of gasoline, you know, an empty can of gasoline to get gas to come back and keep their generators running. It's that kind of craziness. But what that does is it distributes some of that precipitation to the southern part of the state, which has been neglected sorely through this drought era. Yeah, no, definitely. That's one nice thing. You know, I, I think some of these recent years we've had, you know, drought conditions up north, but it's been really bad down south. And it's nice to see it statewide. And honestly, if you look at some of the, the, the snowpack maps across the state, it, it's nice to see the entire state sitting in a really good position this year. Faith Jolly sent me a note uh, asking if we could connect with you this week to talk about this effort that would... Um let anglers target and remove specific fish. Is this water-related or no? No, this really isn't a water-related thing. So, you know, what Faith sent out is a news release that she put together that I'm assuming will be hitting the press here really soon, uh, kind of talking about some tagged fish efforts that we've got across the state. So what we do with these tagged fish efforts is it really depends on the situation, but in a lot of regards, what we're trying to do is collect data on fish, and we're asking the public to Help us out. So we got some cases in the state where we're asking the public if they catch tagged fish to uh, report to us the tags, the tag numbers, the fish they catch, some things like that. There's uh, information on the tag themselves. If you catch a tagged fish, telling you where to go, and that web page will tell you exactly what we're looking for. But it's pretty basic information. What's the tag number? What's the date you fished? What water you caught it on? Some things like that. So that's one of our big efforts. And the other one, just kind of an informational thing on uh, Utah Lake. We've got a handful of tagged northern pike out there. Um, as people know, Northern Pike were legally introduced in the Utah Lake, and um, we're, uh, oh, we have anglers you know, catch and kill any Northern Pike that they catch. But we've got a handful of these tagged fish out there. We're asking anglers to return those tagged fish because they have radio transmitters. And I mean, what we're doing is we're tracking the movements of those specific fish so we can learn more about Northern Pike and Utah Lake, which will, down the road will help us get a little bit better at understanding their behavior and what we can do to prevent them from impacting that fishery. So you are giving out prizes for the tag fishing, right? <laughs> oh, it's not yeah, that program? So, <laughs> okay, so there, there's three three tagged efforts that we're trying to highlight here. The first one is the Utah Lake one, and there's there's no reward tag for that one. The other two efforts we have are Flaming Gorge and a Pelican Lake, and both of those have a reward of oh. up to $50 oh. assigned to tag fish you catch there. It depends on the fish. The fish are identified, you know, with on the tag. So the tag itself will say, you know, this fish has a reward or this fish doesn't have a reward. So you, you know if you catch the fish, if it's got that reward or not. But in the case of Flaming Gorge, uh, they're lake trout that we've tagged. What we're trying to do there is a, a little study. 
where we're trying to get a handle on basically angler catch rates of smaller lake trout in the lake. It's going to help us gauge maybe some fishing regulations down the road and see if we need to do a regulation change and also let us know just better on how that fishery is performing. So in that case, we're asking anglers to report that tag information to us because it again gives us a better idea of just the lake trout population and just how many lake trout are being removed from that lake. Uh, the other place where we got reward tag effort going on is Pelican Lake. In that case, we put some tags in the carp. And once again, uh, those carp, you're going to identify if you catch one, if it's got a reward assigned to it or not. But we're asking anglers, regardless if there's a reward or no reward, to get on the webpage. It's listed on the tag, report the tag information. And what we're doing in that case is it gives us an idea of just carp numbers and what that population looks like. Uh, we're concerned about numbers in that lake, and we're trying to gauge basically, um, you know, what we need to do to make that lake better, prevent the carp from uh, getting back to where they were a handful of years ago where they're overrunning the lake. So that's kind of what we're doing there. All right. So the small lake trout of Flaming Gorge comes with a $50 uh, uh, prize if you catch one that's got a tag. That's better than a punch in the nose. It certainly is. Falls a little short of the new Tesla I was hoping yeah. for, but <laughs> we'll, we'll take the 50 bucks. Uh, but the other thing is uh, there's just feeling good that you're helping out with the research for the Division of Wildlife Resources. My question is, and maybe you can tell me if it's different between all three of these projects or if it's the same, how would we know what the that, that we actually have one that's tagged? Yeah, so if you have a tag, it's an external tag. So what you'll see is hanging from its dorsal fin, so that's that fin kind of in the backside of the fish, uh, about a two-inch long piece of plastic that's brightly covered, colored. It's got words on it. So if you catch a fish, if you see that hanging off the back, you know, that tells you it's a tag fish. All right, and uh, this is going to continue throughout the rest of the year, or what's the timeline here? Yeah, that's the game plan. So this this goes through the rest of the year. In the case of Flaming Gorge and Pelican Lake, we may extend them down the road depending on what our data looks like and what are our returns for the numbers of uh, tags that we're hearing back from the public. The Northern Park thing at Utah Lake, I'm not really sure. I think this is going to go on for a little while longer, so maybe another year or two years where we're just trying to track these tag, tag fish and learn more about their behavior. All right. And if people want more information, they just go to wildlife.utah.gov, which is, as always, the Division of Wildlife Resources website. Always great catching up with you. Uh, thanks for your time again today, Randy. Yep. Thanks a bunch, Tim. We will uh, take a break when we come back, do a little road trip, and we'll find out where uh, Bob and Mark are going to take us. I just saw that I got an email, but I haven't had a chance to take a look at it. Ah, here we go. Moab to the Four Corners through the oh, nice. Monument Valley yeah. on 191 and 163. I'm glad you're here for this conversation. I, I'm, they're probably more familiar than I am, but not much. Yeah, yeah. This map-loving man sitting next to me here. We'll come back and do that next. Stay with us. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. It is time for us to get back out there on the road this week and see where the boys want to take us. How about Highway 191, for instance? On the road again. I love that road. I'll bet you do. I've driven it almost a full length. Yeah, pretty much a full length. Even got the the edge of 191 that goes along the New Mexico border. What about 163? You know that one? 
<laughs> no, he says. <laughs> Bob and Mark are with us. Bob Grove, Mark Wade, and I'm glad to have Russell back in studio because he really is a map lover. Even in the days of electronic GPS, this is a guy that will pull out a map on his motorcycle yeah. and take a look at it, which isn't a good idea when you're riding. Well, I don't, I'd never do that. when I'm, I look down a little bit. Yeah. Well, I sleep a lot. <laughs> Speaking of encounters you know, I, with wildlife. As long as you're on that topic, yeah. I'm going back to paper maps in the motorhome. Mm, really? I got all the electronics, and I love the electronics, and that's I sell that electronics stuff. But... Sometimes you got to have a map to get an overall picture of what you're doing. Yeah. The fastest way is not always the best way. True. Uh, Bob, we're talking about the Four Corners area down there, right? Yeah, we're talking about, well, today we're talking about from I-70 down to Four Corners. You know, Russ, I'm sure you're familiar with 163. You just don't know it. Because 191 becomes 163 oh, around Mexican hat. Yeah. yeah, well, yeah. no, actually, about the uh, turnoff to 261 oh, that goes okay. to Goosenecks. Yeah. You know, Moki Dugway, then yeah. it becomes 163 okay. on down from there. So you wanted to start where? Moab and head that way? Yeah, first of all, you know, we're talking about uh, the journey, not the destination. You know, places, you know, routes that go to destinations. But we want to talk about the points of interest, interesting things along the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing I wanted to mention before you even get off of I-70 at Crescent Junction, go down another five miles to Thompson Springs yeah. and get off the freeway there and go north about four miles and you'll come to a place called Seagull Canyon where they've got some wonderful uh, pictographs, Barrier yeah, Canyon style pictographs, hmm. you know, those alien looking, yeah. ghost looking pictographs there. So that's a nice little side trip that you may want to take as you're heading what down nice, to 191. Yeah. What a nice break to take. I mean, you always want to take a break right around there anyway. But, but now, now, okay, that's you know, if you go a little further, a little further east. Now, this is weird, but a little further east, and I, I don't recall. Probably the next off ramp. Um, there's a Seven <laughs> Eleven. Russ is looking for the next no, big gulp. There's nothing out there. <laughs> and, no, and there really isn't. There's much Thompson magic. Springs, and if you go for a little further east, I think it's the next or the the second one. There's a doggone Seven Eleven there. How about that? With gas and everything. Nowhere, Mark. If if you just have a little adventure in your soul, Mark, you can find a lot of things along the way, like yeah. the uh, hole in the rock. Yeah. Yeah, you know that's that's an interesting thing down uh, on the highway 191 as you go south from Moab. Here's here's somebody that years ago decided they wanted to carve a house, yep. a five thousand square foot house into the side of a rock, and now it's become a little bit of a gift shop. You can take tours of the house. And it's just one of the things you can do right off the highway as you're going down, get a little gas, get a little drink at the 7-Eleven. I don't think they have the 7-Eleven, Russ, but they've got drinks. <laughs> yeah, they got stuff there. You bet. Uh-huh. Nice nice rest area right next door. Needles District of the Canyonlands along the way. Uh, newspaper Rock is really something to see, too, Mark. So as you head south towards uh, Monticello, yeah. then you've got Newspaper Rock as one of those diversions you can take just off the highway. And that's a, you know, I think there's something like 650 writings or rock art images if you want to call it that on this one uh rock face and so that's incredibly good you're at the base of the blue mountains or the abajo mountains they're called Mm -hmm. those go up over eleven thousand monticello named for jefferson's monticello that's where the name monticello comes from you can stay in monticello in a hotel there and, and explore that whole area and there's arches 
and rock formations and and the whole Needles District of Canyonlands. So much to see, Bob, and so little time, especially when we're trying to squeeze it all into one segment here. Uh, Give us a couple of uh, other ideas on 191 that turns to 163. Well, you know, in Blanding, you can stop at Edge of, uh, edge of the uh, Cedars of the State Cedars, Park yeah. uh, there in the Dinosaur Museum. But if you keep going south, be sure and stop at the Forrest Gump point oh, yeah. on the highway to get a nice view of Monument Valley. That's a must-do. You'll recognize it immediately going south. That's where they filmed the scene of uh, Forrest Gump running up the hill with the crowd behind him when he stops and everybody's waiting for the great sage to give them way, wise advice. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you the one bummer for me, when we went on our motorcycle ride, and Bob, you helped us to coordinate some of uh, what we did along the way uh, a few years ago to Colorado. Uh, Monument Valley was closed because of uh, the pandemic, so we didn't get right. a chance to actually turn in there and see anything. But, but, but that's on the road. Yeah. Force well, it, they didn't move yeah, the, the mountains or anything. I got it, yeah. but we wanted to go down in, you know. Yeah, and, yeah. Yeah. Well, and the tribal parks aren't fully open yet, so really? they are open, yeah, but they're not fully open yet. So you can still get into them, but you got to get there early. Yeah. Uh, Mark, anything else you want to throw in here at the end? Well, just quickly, if you stop in the town of Bluff, mm-hmm. that's the place where they, the Hole in the Rock expedition that took place in 1880, oh. that's where it ended up, is in Bluff. And my wife's. A great great grandparents were some of those participants, John and Paulina Pace. Mm-hmm. And my really? wife has actually sat on the feet of her great aunt Edith, so who <laughs> who uh, was born in Bluff after this Hole in the Rock expedition. So, what a great history you've got in the town of Bluff with Bluff Fort. Yeah. All right. So much to that. so much to see, so much to do. I think one of the last times uh, Bob was on one of his tours. Uh, he got his wife Susan lost in that gift shop with some of the ladies that were on the back of the bus. <laughs> Wasn't sure. Yeah, they were. Doesn't that happen from time to time? Oh yeah, yeah. She finds her way into those gift shops. In fact, uh, uh, I have to pay that bill when I get. See, you say, "Well, I'm doing this one for free." <laughs> All right, guys, we'll cut you loose. Uh, it's road tripping with Bob and Mark. Road tripping with Bob and Mark dot com. Thanks, guys. You bet. Thank you. We will uh, take another break and come back. It's uh, time for us to do a little skiing. We'll do uh, snow day and head to Park City. Lots of news from Park City Resort this week. We'll share it with you next. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com. Follow us on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you listen.